Hi, my name is Esti Pohl, and you are listening to Bundles of Wisdom, where we sit down and talk all about an exciting topic each week. If this is your first time listening, welcome. My name is Esti. I am from Chicago and moved to New York to continue my school career at Venos Homesh Academy, the best school ever. Thank you, Hashem. <laughs> I am here today with Bela Kreiner. Bela raised three children in Crown Heights and has two adorable grandchildren. She's been a teacher with many years, and she also works with smaller groups in their homes learning various Hebrew subjects. Bela dedicates her time to helping and supporting others in any way she can. One thing that strikes me about Bela is her love of Hashem and Tyra. We met through a family friend, and she's been like a mother to me ever since. I love coming over for Shabbos and for dinner. Bela is the embodiment of a kosher marriage and a kosher home. I'm so honored to have her with me today. I am joined by Bela Kreiner to discuss everything about Jewish marriage and relationships. The first topic that we're going to be discussing today is about her dating experience and how she met her husband. My first question is, what is the dating process like? Hi, everybody. Dating process today is very different than it was 35 years ago. 35 years ago, most of the time, you set up with a boy, you never asked for the resume, you trusted your parents that they did the research, and if worse came to worse, you said it wasn't for you. And there were times when you went out and you wanted, and the boy said, no, it's not for him. And then you went out again, and you said no to the boy. And then there was a time when you went out with someone, and you had no reason why to say no. He was nice, he was good, a dull, refined, everything you wanted, but something didn't talk to you, and you weren't sure what it was. So in our days, we had a mashpia. The Rebbe said to have a mashpia. And um, it actually happened to me, so I went to my mashpia. And she said, listen, the Rebbe said one thing is very important, to have hamshach salat. I said, what's hamshach salat? She goes, when you're going to feel it, you'll know what it is. It's not a word you could explain. She goes, if something's bothering you now, and it could be his teeth weren't perfect, does that make a marriage if someone's teeth is not perfect? But if it bothered me, it was probably because it might not have been for me. So she said, let's give it a break. Say, you know what? Everything is wonderful. He's a wonderful person. Right now, I don't feel it's for me. If the name comes up in a happy year, I could think about it again. And guess what? Baruch Hashem, two months later, he got engaged. I was so happy for him. And then my husband's name came up. And guess what? The first time I heard him talk on the phone, something about it clicked. And then I went out with him, and I just said, I think this is it. And it's called Hamshach HaSalev. You don't know what it is, but the connection, it's a connection that all of a sudden you feel, I want to spend, I could spend my rest of my life with him. Doesn't mean it's going to work out, but at least you have that thought that there is a connection. You must connect with one another. If you're not connecting, it could be it's a wonderful guy. It could be it's good for him, but it's not good for you. So the most important thing is Hamshach HaSalev. What does it mean? When you go out with someone and you feel that connection, you will know that you have that feeling. It's not something that could be explained. That's so incredible. I love how you said the point of a mashpia. 
Like I think it's so important to have someone to talk through and discuss it because yeah, I don't know. It could be that it didn't work for him or it doesn't work for you or it works for you, doesn't work for him. I think it's so important. So that was my next question. How were you introduced to your husband? What is that process like? Because I know it's not like you bump into him at a bar or something like that. It's interesting because a year before the name came up, but um, we said at that time that it wasn't for me. I thought he was too Israeli, and I figured the mentality would be totally different. A year later, he came back to live in the States, in New York, and he was actually teaching in Olay Torah. My mother had a child in pre one and she peeked into the window, and she said, Hey, I remember that name came up. He looks like he's with it. Let's give it a try. So she called the person who she knew he stayed by last year. And before I knew it, she told her husband. Her husband ran to 770 to meet him and ask him. He right away called up, and we set up a date. And that was it. We went out a couple of times. And when we felt that we understood each other and knew each other, and we were ready to be committed to each other, because marriage is not all about getting, it's about giving. And we figured that each of us were ready to give to the next one to make it happen. We wrote to the Rebbe. And guess what? It was funny because I just told him, you write to the Rebbe. And Rabbi Groner said, listen, it's very nice that he wrote in, but we need the girl to write in also. So I wrote in, and then the Rebbe gave us a beautiful bracha. And um, Baruch Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. I, that was one of the questions that I wrote down was, did you write to the Rebbe at the time of your engagement? Because I know at the time, that's what people did. I like that so special. I love what... I love how you said it's about commitment. It's about getting, but also giving. How did you realize that you were ready for that next step? That you were ready for to take it to something bigger? Like marriage and dating are so different. The truth is, if I went through the resume like we do today, I probably wouldn't have married him. Oh my goodness. What I found out after we got engaged, his mother wasn't able to come to the wedding. She was a Holocaust survivor, a Holocaust survivor, oh no. A single brother, oh no, a brother without any children. And another brother was getting engaged at right after we got engaged. He was waiting for us to get engaged because he was a younger brother. Probably it wouldn't have worked. But you know what? With Siata Deshmaya, you ask the right questions. You go out, you're talking about your future. How would you spend your Shabbos? How do you want celebrate Shabbos? Do you like having guests? Do you like having, um, do you like a quiet Shabbos? And you see if it matches your goals, you know you're on the right bend with him. Do you like to give miser? Is it something, you know, that you can give? If a person likes to give, you know he can give in other things also. He's more open-minded. If it's hard for someone to give my sir, you know, wait, hold on. His hand is a little closed. And um, when I saw that most of my goals were more or less the same, it doesn't make a difference who his family was or what it was. And I didn't need it to have no resume, no picture, no nothing. We just went ahead and we were come. We saw that it was we had the same goals. It's time to get married. Just to go out and with another date and another date, sometimes it doesn't even help because then you start talking silliness and then this way he knows you for who you are and afterwards you get to meet all the silliness that you have, he has, and you grow up together. There's, that's, I love what you said because that's something that I, I always like made the distinction between secular relationships and... 
Jewish relationships that it's before you commit to anything, it's all about are we heading in the same direction? Do we share the same values and the same goals? Like I heard someone say that the love comes from the shared values and the shared gold and wanting to build the same kind of life together. I think that's I think that's why Jews like have such can have such successful marriages because like you start on the same page and if you're not on the same page then he's not the one for you which I I love um okay thank you so much for sharing all of that that was very very insightful I love how Hashem and the Rebbe came up so many times I think that's so important All right, now we're going to move on to our next topic, your wedding day. So this is more of like a general question, but what was your wedding day like overall? Like, how did it feel? What was something that stood out to you? What was it like? Because I'm sure it's a a crazy day, so many emotions, special day. First thing is that it's called a dream come true. Since you're three years old, you've been dreaming about wearing a wedding gown and wearing a white, beautiful dress, and everybody surrounds you. And the day came, and it was happening. I picked out my beautiful white gown, and I loved my headpiece. Actually, I didn't, but I got to love it. Um, there was a time, of spiritual time, going to the IHL early in the morning with my father, which in those days, nobody went to the IHL. So it was very like, like, wow, you're going to the Friedrich Rebbe's Eichel. And then we went to my grandparents' Eichel in different cemeteries all over Staten Island to Queens. It was like spiritual, just like saying to Hillem and Davening and um, knowing that this was going to be something that I always dreamed of and my dream came true. And um, it was also a very special day. It was Isruchak Sukkis. And... Um, it was a day I enjoyed every minute of it. I etched it in my memory. It wasn't like a blur. I knew and I enjoyed every single minute of my wedding and I could replay it to you today. It was wonderful. Wow, that's so special. I like Isruchag is such a special day already and then to have a wedding on Isruchag is like an additional many additional layers of incredible spirituality that's so beautiful and I like how you went to the Eichel it like didn't register in my mind that it was just the Friedrich Rebbe's Eichel at the time and I love how you went to all the other farm I didn't realize that that was a thing that people went to the Eichel before their wedding I think that's so beautiful and I love how it's one of those days that you can just flip back and you remember everything um what did the chuppah feel like i'm sure that's like one of the holiest moments of your life the chuppah was out of the world just standing underneath there with your chassin all the people that you love all the people that you love are getting brachas and you're just basking in the glowness of being together with Hashem under the chuppah. And you knew that the Rebbe was inside his room, even though, you know, he was in his room right there. And it was a holy, special time that um, helps to keep the marriage together. 
that's so nice and so special. Was your wedding where... I know people now have your, their wedding at 770. Is that where you had your wedding? The chuppah was right in the front of 770, not in back. It was... Um, I remember my brothers who were younger were holding the canopy. And um, I remember my uncle being the the MC, as you call it, and singing Baruch Haba. And then all the people, lots of people who are not with us here today were giving me a bracha there. So I feel like I really got brachas from really special people. And um, yeah, it was just beautiful. It was a freezing cold day, but it was, I didn't feel it because I was in a different world. I was just like wearing my gown and it was ice cold. And after the chuppah, I go, wait, it's cold. I didn't feel it at all. Thank you for sharing about your wedding, Bela. That was so special. I love how you said that it kind of felt like a dream, like it's something that you think about for so long and it comes true. That's so cool. And also, I never thought about this. Like when you're under the chuppah, you're right next to like the most important person in your life like your partner but you're also surrounded by everyone that in your life every like so many people everyone who's able to be there like friends loved ones and you're all just being showered with blessings you're all there that's such a special moment such a special day um the next thing that we're going to talk about is hair covering i know nowadays it's like Every, a lot of people cover their hair, even people who are not Jewish like to wear wigs. But when you got married, was that common at all? Were, were people wearing shaitals at the time or was it like, yeah, were people wearing shaitals at the time? People were wearing shaitals. They weren't custom shaitals. Custom shaitals were just coming in at that point. And they were so expensive, only $1,800 I left today. Uh, I definitely did get one when it, everyone was getting theirs. It lasted me for many, many years until the one who made it stopped working. So the next person who washed it killed it, which was fine. But then Hashem has helped and I've gone through so many beautiful shaitals. And you know what's amazing about a shaital? You want to wear a short one? You could wear a short one, short hair one day. Want to have long hair the next day? You wear your long one. You could change your style every single day. As a girl, I just had plain, straight, boring hair. And if I wanted it to have some style, I needed a body wave. So those days were thank God over. And I could have done anything I wanted. Short shade or long shade. Or, and sometimes I did. I just switched from one to the next. And um, I'll wear a pony shade when I was younger. And I just love it. You don't have to worry that your hair was thinning out. And um, it's a blessing. Thank you, Hashem, for like, giving us a shaito. I love that. It was always so cool to me when I had teachers and I saw them one day wearing a short shaito and the next day wearing a long shaito and then the next day wearing a short shaito. Like, that's not something that I could do with my hair. Um, when it was close to your wedding, were you like nervous about wearing a shaito? Like, were you like, oh, I would rather like wear a hat or something? Or was it like something you were excited for? Never thought about it. It was just something like, this is what you do. We looked for the day to 
get a shaitel, you get married. I had a good friend taking me to different places. And um, I just loved it. I got a pony shaitel because I wanted to look like a kid. And I got like a more mature shaitel for Shabbos. And it was just exactly what I wanted. And then I bought a third one, which I knew you shouldn't. And um, of course, it was a waste of money. But again, today it was only $350, which was so expensive. So it was um, just fine. I wore it a few times till I just said goodbye. And then within the year, slowly, I don't even remember, I just kept getting pony shaitels, pony shaitels. I remember once it was Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and I was coming to one of my students to um, who I was teaching, not religious boy, cute little boy. And I brought up my pop-up sukkah, and we're sitting in the sukkah, and he's telling me how excited he was that he knows, he figured it out, how you get to Rosh Hashanah and get all the attention from the rabbi. Because most people go one day to, to Rosh Hashanah to Daven, and he went for two days, so they got all the attention. Because, but I have a question. How come my mother put this white thing on, doily thing on her head? And she explained that all Jewish women, when they go to shul, they need to cover their hair. Goes, Marbella, you don't wear that white doily thing on your hair when you go to show. So I said to him, Jack, guess what? Not only do I wear something on my head every um, to when I go to show, I cover my hair every single day. He goes, no, you don't. I said, yeah, I'm covering my hair right now. He was in shock. His mom was in shock. They just couldn't believe it. They go, it doesn't look like a, I said, it's a wig. They were in total shock. They go, no, no, but yes. And then I told the story to another group of kids. I was saying, they go, Marbella, you don't cover your hair. I go, I sure do. They don't even know it. So when you're walking down the streets, don't think that everyone's staring at you and thinking that you're covering your hair and you're a nerd. No, you look beautiful because sometimes a shaitel's even better than hair. So um, yeah, that was uh, just a little fun little story to share with you all. That's so adorable. I love that. I have a question. Um, do you know any Hasidus about why we cover our hair? Like, I realized I was thinking, I was like, I don't know why we even cover our hair in the first place. Do you know why we cover our hair or like if there's any Hasidus that any of the Rebbeim shared about it? I think our first mother, Sarah and Rivka, covered their hair too. Remember, Rivka was wearing a veil and she covered herself when she saw Yitzchak. So I think it's just um, something that it says in the Torah to do and it's a thing of modesty. Now we have to understand that why we have to cover our hair, what is one of the reasons why. Hair is something that is very attractive to men. And once you're married, your hair is special to your husband. Um, I've known, I've seen around, when you walk around and people, uh, the men come home and they see another woman there, the first thing they do is they give them a peck on their cheek and they brush through their hands, through their hair. It's like, a, it's an affection. Your hair is special for your husband. It's not there out to share for others. And when you are, do something special for your husband, when you share your life only with your husband, then it's special. It's not for everyone else to enjoy. It's for you and your husband to enjoy. I really, really love that. I love like, I love that in regards to Sneha, so that we cover things because they're special. And I think they do feel more special when it's something that's just for you. And then one day just for you and your husband, I think that's very special. 
Our next topic is about Taurus Hamashpacha. Um, I know very recently it's something that they're trying to teach girls when they're younger before they get engaged like um, I know I've been learning about it this year and it's a new topic for me and it's so fascinating but was it something that you knew about when you were younger or was like once you get engaged you had a college teacher and suddenly you got all of this new information So in our days, no, we didn't learn anything about it in school. I don't know if we were ready for it then. I think today's generation, it's very important that you start learning it in 11th, 12th grade. The girls know so much more from just the being out there, the social, everything is out there. And if they're not going to find it from learning it in school, they're going to find it out from out of school, from movies, from other things, from friends. So it is important that you learn it now. We... Um, learned it with our college teacher. And the most important thing was that after we got married, we always had someone to review it with us again. Because when you're engaged and you have so many things on your head and you're learning it, not everything sticks. And it's important after the wedding to review everything that you've learned. Because once you've experienced marriage, then you understand more of what the halacha says. Well, oh, so that's what it's talking about. This is what it was meant. And you get it. And the mitzvah of um, Taras HaMashpacha is one of the most beautiful mitzvahs, and I can tell you a little story. I was um, tutoring another family, teaching the girls and telling them how the most important mitzvah a woman has, and as I'm saying the three mitzvahs, the mother opens the door and she goes, Marbella, I just heard you. You just said the three most important mitzvahs. And I said, no, I was talking to the girls that the most important mitzvah for a woman is because we're doing Parsha's Chayas Sarah. We're talking about Rivka and the three mitzvahs. She goes, okay, you know, there's just too many mitzvahs out there. I can handle three. What are they? So I told her the first one is Tara Samashbacha. She goes, you know, I think my husband would like that. And she called her husband. She goes, you want me to go to Mikvah, right? And deep in his heart, he really did want her to go to Mikvah, but he never wanted to impose it on her. So he said, oh, wow, that would be such a beautiful thing. Yeah, that would be a nice idea. She goes, you know what? I'm keeping that. Okay, what's the next one? I said, the next one is Shabbos candles. And it was Shabbos Kaidah. She goes, hmm, I do it, but not always on time. Sometimes a little, I said, don't rush slowly. Every time you do it on time, give yourself a pat on the back. When you're ready, you'll take it on your plan yourself. You'll do it. It will be another one, another one. And what's the third one? So I said, the third one is Chala, which is Kashrus. She said, kosher, kosher. Yes, I really want a kosher kitchen. Okay, I'm doing it next month. I would come to her house every week. And uh, when I came, she said, you know what? I need, I'm really going to mikvah. I need you to get me the vadika cloths. And sure enough, I'm ready with it the following week. And she canceled class because her daughter wasn't feeling well. And I figured, okay, We'll find out what happens, you know. I only come to her. I'm not her mashbiya. I'm nothing. I'm just a teacher that comes and teaches her kids. Anyway, I come back the following week. She goes, Marbella, you're not going to believe it. I called my friend. I go, what do I do? Because the teacher didn't come. I don't have it. And there's no store in the city that sells them. She goes, my friend said, oh, just cut up a piece of linen, white um, sheet. And that's how we did in the olden days. My mother's days, not even in my days, I would say it. So it was amazing how her love to do this mitzvah, she went all the way to, to that extent. And the night that she came to Mikvah to Crown Heights was a very special day, it was Chav Peshvah. 
And she said to me, I've never felt anything like this. What was this feeling that I felt? I said, it was you and Hashem together. Mikvah lady was just there to see that you covered yourself in. She didn't see you, nothing at all. It's there just to make sure that you're kosher. It was you and Hashem together. What better time is it together when you and Hashem are together? After that, I gave her a little tour of Crown Heights. And she said, you know what? I want to do another mitzvah. I really want to kosher my home. So I gave her the number of the shliach that lives near her. And guess what? The next day she calls him and he goes, okay, I'm coming today to kosher your home. And she goes, oh, I wasn't ready for that. I thought, you know, in a week or two, he turned my house upside down. I thought my house was going to go on fire. My heart was burned, but it's kosher now. Okay. Um, then she goes, and oh, so while we're going to train, she goes, Marvilla, just one more mitzvah. I, need. I said, no, 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 you can't do it. It's too taking too many. It's too fast. You're going to get burnt out. It's not good. She goes, just one more. I said, okay, your mitzvah on your door is really not kosher. You could change your missus on the door and put on missus on the rest of your doors. She goes, you're right. It's not kosher. I know it's not kosher. And um, she told me afterwards that she told the rabbi to also get her a kosher mezuzah. The week after, when I come to her house, um, she, the rabbi came to bring some magazines for the kids, and she told him to come up. I was there, and she's so excited to show her him the ksuba that she had. And the rabbi goes, I'm so sorry to tell you, but guess what? Your marriage is not kosher. You have two women as a witness, and they're both sisters. You need to do another wedding. Okay, Corona came, and uh, we're working now on our getting a kosher wedding. So this is the story, but mikvah is one of the most important things that keeps the family together. I have another story for another time, but this is what um, I can tell you now about mikvah. That is so beautiful. It's such a special story. I, you see like her neshama just shining throughout all parts of the story. It's so beautiful. And I think one thing that really struck me about what you said was you said, mikvah is about you and Hashem. Nothing else. It's about you and Hashem. I think that's so special. And I think that's such a powerful way of viewing that mitzvah. Um... Did you feel nervous about going to mikvah? Is that something that you felt nervous about? To be honest, I didn't feel nervous. I didn't even feel that it was special or anything um, about it. I did it because that was halacha. Um, I think that I did get to appreciate it probably like right before when I stopped going to mikvah because um, I started working in a mikvah. So I really got to appreciate it. But I did it because it was Nasa Benishma. This is what you do. And um, it was great because the most beautiful part of it is, also here I could tell you the second story now. Um, uh, I was tutoring and we invited the kids for Hanukkah to come to my house. And right before they left Hanukkah, one of the girls, she was 11 years old, and she said, Marbella, your room, is that your bedroom? And that happened to be my guest room. I go, no, Macy, that is my guest room. When you come for Shabbos, you have a place to stay with your friend. She goes, Marbella, can I ask you a question? Can I please see your bedroom? I said, okay, I know what's coming up. She wants to see the two beds. Probably in camp, they had a discussion. 
Thank God my cleaning lady came that day. I opened up my door, two beds. She goes, I said, yes, two beds. She goes, why? I said, it's not a two minute answer. It's a 45 minute and it could be longer. I said, the next time I come to your house, you know, Macy, you're very busy. You always drop off your books. You go, so sorry, Marvel, I gotta go do my homework. If you come down, you ask your question, you sit down, you have time. I'll give you the answer. So two weeks later, I come to her house. Her mother picks me up because she lives in Harlem and I was in the city. And of course, I don't hear anything from her. I go, good, she forgot about it. And her mother keeps asking me questions. We talk, come to the house, and I start with her younger sister. And she goes, Marbella, I didn't forget my question. I am coming down, putting down my stuff, and I'm coming to ask you. She asked the question, and I gave her a 45-minute lesson of Tarsa Mishpacha. And I said to her, listen, the most amazing thing is when you sleep on one bed, you get tired of it. Just sleeping with the same guy nonstop, one night after another, you just want your own space. So one of the mitzvahs is you have two separate beds. And you guess what? You Every time mikvah comes, you reunite together. It's like you're getting married anew. After a few minutes, she thought, she goes, Marbella, awesome. I am keeping this mitzvah. I said, okay, listen, this girl was the sexiest little girl that you could imagine. In her school, you had to wear skirts, not down to our knees, but you had to be decent. She wore the shortest one that could be. She knew everything more than I knew. But yet, when she heard the explanation of mikvah, she decided she wanted this mitzvah. I said, look, Macy, we don't do contracts like a written one, but let's make a deal. Once a year when I come to you, I just ask you, oh, there's two things I said, two things you need to know. One is you need to marry a Jewish boy, because if you're not going to marry a Jewish boy, you don't have to do this mikvah. And two, you have to go the night before your wedding. She goes, I get it, I get it totally, and I explained it all to her. And every year now, I ask her, Macy, who are you marrying? Marbella, I know a Jewish boy. Today she's in college, going for education, and when I ask her, she goes, yes, Marbella, I didn't forget a Jewish boy. So we know that one of the most important things is mikvah. It helps to make the marriage new. Every two weeks, it's as if you're getting married to the same guy, but all over again. Because you were separated, you want to be with him. It's not a boring thing. It's not an everyday thing. It's not, but it's an exciting thing to be together with your husband once again. Wow, that's so special. I love how you just... I don't know. I love how like that girl, she just connected with it. You know, I don't know. That was so beautiful. It makes me excited to want one day, God willing, keep all these mitzvahs. Would you say that being Nida is something that's difficult every time? Or is it something that you get used to as time goes on? It was very hard in the beginning because you have to remember the halachas. But once, you know, the children come in and um, you just get used to it and it's part of your life. You don't even think about it anymore. It's just part of everyday routine. Anything that's brand new is always hard. When you take a mitzvah to do, it's like you could forget about it. But once you, like I do when I take something upon myself new, Let's say I have three steps before I go to bed. Like, you have to say Shema, Spiritual Omer, and bring Negevaser. So I go one, two, three. So I say, did I do number one? Did I do number two? So I make it in a pattern that I will remember so I won't forget. So 
the best thing to do is to make like yourself a pattern. What you do have to do first before you get to that mitzvah that you want to do. And um, then it just becomes natural. You don't even have to count anymore. One, two, three, three, two, step one, two, three. It's automatically it comes to you. So before you do anything, just make a, yourself a pattern. Because all new things are hard. But once you do them, it becomes part of your life. It becomes like as if you've been doing it since the day you were born. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't. I, I never thought about it that it, it just becomes part of the routine. That two weeks out of every month, that's just how it is. Um, what's something that's a part of Nida that was easier than you thought it would be? It's hard to say because it was so many years ago. Um, I think, the, of course, the, one of the hardest things is not touching at that time. And um, you have to remember that you can, that you're Anita. And once it becomes part of you, it's just like almost even when you're allowed to, you just automatically put things down and don't give it directly because it's just part of you already. You've been doing it for so long. so And nobody's really looking. It's we think people are looking and seeing, but nobody is because everybody's doing the same thing. So it's because we're just part of the Yidin and we do it, it becomes natural to you, even though in the beginning it's hard. It definitely is hard in the beginning. It's a new thing. Anything new is hard. Wow, that's incredible. What is something that Nida taught you about yourself and your marriage? Something that you learned from Nida, maybe about yourself? good question I'm not sure what it taught me I just know that this is what helps to keep the marriage together it helps to make it stronger it helps to bring you closer to one another and if it wasn't something that was going to work it definitely wouldn't have been in the Torah everything that's in the Torah has a reason do we understand always the reason why Hashem says for us to do things no but we just do it because Nasev and Nishma, Hashem told us to do it, and He knows what's best for us. And um, even though it could be uncomfortable, we don't know, it's weird, it's this, but at the end, it's just like, it's we understand that there was a reason for it. Wow. Wow, I love how you said that everything in Torah is for a reason, for a good reason. If there wasn't a reason, even if we don't understand it, it wouldn't be there. I think that's, I don't know, I think for me that's like a healing perspective. That everything that comes from God is good. It's incredible, even if I don't always see it. What makes you feel connected to your husband? could be little. be connected you just want to serve him to make him happy for a man if you give him food he's always happy when they're grumpy it's because they didn't eat well probably they didn't have a good lunch or it was um something like that so even if you are late and the kids are driving you up a wall your husband comes home always have a grilled cheese sandwich maker hot grilled cheese and then put some vegetables out chocolate milk he has a delicious supper, we'll talk to him and then he will be more calm and then 
So food is one of the things that gets to a man's heart. So that makes you more connected. So I love cooking. I love the kitchen. I could be in there 24-7 if I had nothing else what to do. Like Pesach, loved it. Loved just being in the kitchen and cooking and serving, making sure that everyone is full, especially my husband making him his favorite foods. That helps to um, make it all good. I love that. And I feel like the kitchen is a perfect segue to talk about raising a family and children. What would you say is the most rewarding part about raising a family? The most rewarding part of having a family is watching um, the generation grow. You were one, you became two, then you became three, four, five, and then they became more. And the family just grows, and it's um, nachas, just nachas. As they say, there's no English translation for nachas, so it's just pure nachas. I love the word nachas, especially when it relates to children. I think that's such a beautiful feeling. What would you say is a challenging part about raising children and having a family obviously there's different hurdles but what would you say is one part that feels challenging or felt challenging today bringing up children is a challenge each one has their own um, mentality their own way of thinking you could bring up the whole bunch of kids and they're all thinking is different like you could tell the whole three kids at the same time Go clean up your room. One kid will do it obediently. Another kid will say, oh, you're always yelling at me. And another will say, oh, again, she's yelling at us. So it depends how each kid takes it. And the trick is to see what ticks with each kid and how to speak to each kid so that they don't feel, if one kid feels that you're always yelling at them, change tactics. To him, you say, you know what? Make me proud. I know you do a great job when you clean the room. And you have to find to see what ticks with each kid. That's the exact thing challenge that we have here is to see what may, works for one kid doesn't definitely work for another kid. One kid will be happy staying in school here in the Crown Heights and another kid needs out of town. You need to make sure that what's right for one kid, make sure also that's good for works for the next kid. It could be totally two different things. One camp is good for one child, another camp will be good for another child. And that's our job, to figure it out. And not always do we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. But we have to know that the only thing Hashem wants from us now is to give love to the kids. So even if we don't know the right way of doing things sometimes, of course we have a mashpia to talk to, we talk it over with our husbands, but know to give L-O-V-E to your children. Then you can never go wrong. And it doesn't mean you can't get upset at them. It could. But that's our challenges. I love what you said so much. I think there's so much importance in meeting every child where they're at and that the needs of one child might not be the needs of another. The way that you approach a situation with one child might be different with another. And that made me think of like Hashem does the same with us. He knows that we all, we're all different. We each have different strengths. That's why 
One person, he makes them live in Crown Heights. One person, he makes them live in China because he knows that they have different needs. One person, he makes them really good at cooking and love the kitchen. And another person, he makes them really good with music. And they use their talents in a different way because Hashem knows us and he knows that every one of his children needs to be approached differently. It just made me think of that. Another question is, and I think this is where we'll wrap up, is what is one character trait that you wanted to instill in your children? Something that you felt it was important for your children to be raised with? It's good you asked me only one because I have only one. Ivdu es Hashem b'semcha, serve Hashem with joy. Know Hashem is part of your life wherever you go. Anything that's good happens, it's because Hashem loves you. Even when it doesn't happen, He still loves you and He's with you. And it's only better things are going to come out of it. Whatever you do in life, do it with joy. If you're not happy, you lost the whole excitement of life. and Things are going to be negative. And you know what? We can talk to Hashem. We can complain to Hashem. We could cry to Hashem. Hashem will answer us, definitely. But there's a very long line of, expla- of complainers all the way to South Africa, Australia. The shorter one is still here in Crown Heights, the ones that praise him and serve with him with joy and say, thank you, Hashem. So the most important thing is every time something happens good, don't forget to thank Hashem and say, thank you, Hashem. You could say it in Hebrew, you could just say, thank you, Hashem. It was amazing. I had such a good day today. When camp was over, before camp was over the last week, I gave a year to our schools here in Crown Heights. I did camp in Base Rivka Day Camp, and I said to the kids, whoever brings a mitzvah note or says that before they go to sleep, thank you, Hashem, I had a wonderful day, um, that would be just awesome, amazing. There were no prizes. It was just amazing. And the kids said, came back to camp. Marvela, we said to get, before we went to sleep, thank you, Hashem, we had such a wonderful day. That's our attitude we should, every single person should have to say, thank you, Hashem, it was a great day. And if it wasn't a great day, I have one thing to thank you for, two things. And before you know it, every day you'll have more and more things to thank Him from. That's what Hashem wants from us, and that's what we want from our kids, to be happy, to serve Hashem with joy, to give them happiness, to give them happiness. How? When we tell them to thank Hashem, we see the happiness in ourselves and in others. Wow. I admire that and I love that so much. I think that for me, a huge turning point was when I started to say Baruch Hashem. And it's been almost a year since I've worked on that. And I think that like thinking and recognizing God is like a foundation for all else. Like everything else comes from that. Like when I say, thank you, Hashem, then that makes me want to dove and it makes me want to say my da'ani. It makes me have a like a more positive attitude. It makes my day better. And I, so I, I noticed that for me, when I started saying, thank God, so many parts of my life changed. And I also noticed that my favorite thing to say now is when something feels so hard my favorite thing to say is thank god like i had such a difficult day thank god it just i don't know it's such a powerful mind shift and also like to say the yetsahara like yeah i had a hard day but like you know i still recognize that this is from hashem um and i think that's a really great place to end off 
I think one thing that I'm taking away is how beautiful this mitzvah is. I gained a new appreciation for it. Like, it's not something that's annoying, or it could feel annoying, but it's not like a barrier or restriction, something like that. Like, it's an opportunity to connect with your husband in a different way, to connect with yourself. It's an opportunity to connect Hashem. Like, it's such a special mitzvah. And thank you so much, Bela, for joining us. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate you being here. And join us next week for another exciting episode of Bundle of Wisdoms. Take care.